part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. This morning we begin a, a brand new series. I'm pretty excited about that. But I want to tell you about an event that happened uh, a little less than 58 years, uh, or 50 years ago, about 48 years ago. But this time, uh, if you like space, NASA, kind of all that kind of stuff, the Apollo, uh, it was about, it was 48 years ago that Apollo 8 uh, did something pretty incredible. They were the ones that were kind of the, the preliminary uh, to landing on the moon. They were not going to be able to land on the moon, but they had to try out some things. And one of the things that they had to try out is that they had to do an orbit around the moon, and they had to do that uh, ten times. And uh, there was a couple things that, you know, everything in theory worked out. All the scientists, all the people at NASA, these really, really smart people, did all the work, and they had it down really actually to the second. And yet at the same time, there were some things that they had in theory, but they just really wondered, okay, is this really going to work? Well, that's good for the guys that are down on the ground, but, you know, for the three astronauts that were up there, they're, okay, we're really hoping that this theory works. And the biggest part of this is that they had to go around the moon. And when they went around the backside of the moon, they broke communication because the communication to Houston was not able to get through. And so by the time they entered that first rotation around the moon, for 45 minutes, it was broken communication, just silence. 45 minutes. I can only imagine it seemed like 45 hours. Can you imagine? That, you know, they were not hearing from NASA. NASA was not hearing from them. And uh, about 45 minutes later, uh, NASA spoke and said, We've got you. Uh, Apollo 8, you are in lunar orbit. And one of the astronauts said, It's good to hear your voice. Now, what were they doing on the other side of the moon? They had to fire the, the, the booster jets. And it was the first time that they did that. There's the technical name of TEI, Trans-Earth Injection you're into that kind of stuff. And, and when they got on that dark side of the moon, on the back side without communication, they had to fire the in, uh, engines and see if they really were going to be able to break the, the, you know, the gravity of that orbit. Because if not, then they couldn't land, but also they couldn't come home. So can you imagine in silence, sitting there, pushing this button or pull, you know, whatever, the toggle switch, whatever it was, just hoping that everything that NASA said was correct and truth was really truth in your life. Well, it all worked. They went around ten times. They were able to test that. It wasn't but a couple flights later that they were able to land on the moon. Neil Armstrong, you know the kind of the rest of the story. But, but this is preceding that. Now, what does that have to do with today? Well, today we're going to talk about uh, Christ and how he came and fulfilled three offices in the Old Testament that God had established. But this came, Christ came, after 400 years of silence. Not a generation, not a couple generations, 400 years. And guys, we see that number and we kind of say, okay, 400 years. But can you imagine 400 years that there wasn't a prophet? 400 years that there wasn't somebody that was, you know, saying thus saith the Lord. 400 years of silence before God. And even though God had said that this would happen, 400 years that they just did not hear the voice of God in that way. Malachi, the last kind of minor prophet there in the Old Testament, he had these words to describe the end of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. He said, Behold, 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, you, you might say, Bobby, what does that mean? Well, basically, before these 400 years, this is what God said through a prophet. Through somebody said, okay, there's going to be some silence. He didn't say 400 years. He just said there's going to be silence. But before I come, before I send the one who's going to be the Savior, he said, I will send another prophet. He calls him Elijah here. We know him as John the Baptist. He says, I promise this is going to happen. So it's a lot of theory. But theory for 400 years? And you're just hoping that it's going to work out? See, that's the thing about our faith, guys. That's why it's called faith. I mean, there's times that we just feel God. I mean, have you ever had days where you just, maybe it's just the sunshine. Sometimes it's just your family. And you're sitting there, dad, mom, and you're going, okay, God is so real. And you're overflowing. But I don't know that I've ever spoken to a Christian that didn't have some silent times in their lives. That you reached out and you really, I mean, in Psalms where David says, man, my, my soul waxes old. Man, I just, I'm, in other words, I mean, I, I'm, I'm grievous all the way down to my soul. My bones hurt. My gut hurts. And I just long, God, will you never speak again? Have you ever had one of those moments, one of those hours, or one of those days, or weeks, or months? See, that's the thing about faith. In theory, it all looks good, and we can make this a very technical book, but it's a real book, and you have a real life. And so it's one of those things that when we sit there and, and you know, we want to hear from Command Central. We want to hear from, from our Houston. Okay, God, just speak. Well, for 400 years, there was no speaking, and they were waiting. And as they were waiting, they, uh, they waited, I don't think so patiently. I think they wait just the same way that you and I wait, in confusion in fear, wondering if they're going to ever hear the voice of the Lord again. In the Old Testament, I told you about these three offices. God established a way of communicating his truth to, to us as his people. And he established in the Old Testament the offices of prophet, priest, and king. Now, this can sound very theological and very kind of technical, but guys, over the next three, four weeks, I hope that you really just get a, a heart for that Christ is the ultimate prophet, he's the ultimate priest, he's the ultimate king. And what this really means. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the role of the prophet was, was one of a truth teller. Most of the time when we hear the word prophet, we think of somebody who's going to tell the future. And they did that sometimes. They would sometimes say, okay, this is what's going to happen. And God had given them a word and they could say, like Isaiah, hey, one day a Savior is going to be born. Hundreds of years before it ever happened, Isaiah has been given the word of God, and he said, this is what's going to happen. And you can even read in Isaiah where it kind of tells about uh, the crucifixion before there was even such a thing as crucifixion. So sometimes prophecy really was foretelling a future that was not yet. But most of the time, the real role of the prophet in the Old Testament was just to be that voice of truth in a world that needed truth. It was that person who spoke for God and revealed his truth. Kind of see it this way, like Moses. Remember what Moses would do? He went up in the mountain, he got the truth of God, and did he stay there? No, he, he came down. He took the truth of God to the people. So in a way, Moses, a prophet, you know, in that kind of prophetic role, served as a, a communication, as a revealer from God to the people. But they're also priests. And that was kind of a, a different role. That was the people that wanted to speak to God. 
And so God established the priesthood, and we see that those were kind of the pastors of the day. Uh, when you sin, you brought in the Old Testament, you brought a, a sacrifice. You would bring this animal, and it would be a sacrifice to atone for the sins or to, to, to temporarily cover for the sins. And so they would bring that to the priest. We know that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he would go in there to pray for the people and for their sin. And so that was kind of a, a pre-picture of reconciliation. Okay, the people are crying out, God, and here's what they're crying out. They're crying out for forgiveness, for mercy. And so we see a role of a priest being one of reconciliation. King. We all like kings. And the people cried out for the king. They said, other countries have a king. Will you give us a king? And so God gave them a king. But God used the king. And God used the king to reveal that he was truly over them, that he was sovereign, that he was mighty, that he could command. And so in the Old Testament, we see God using these three offices from an aspect of relating to the people and the people relating back to him. One of revelation, reconciliation, and one of rule. Well, this morning, we're going to look at that role of the prophet. How is Christ a prophet? Well, in Hebrews chapter uh, 1, verse 1 through 2, look what it says. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, at, um, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed by uh, heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Basically, he said, in the Old Testament, you have all these prophets. But he said, I want you to know that you're not going to have prophets anymore. You're not going to have people that come up and just have this prophetic voice. He said, because there's one prophet that's going to come. And his name is Christ. He's the Son. He's the same one that created the world. And he said, he's going to be the ultimate prophet. And he's going to reveal, reveal the ultimate truth. In other words, we haven't had to have somebody that came after Christ to reveal more truth. All the truth that we really need has been revealed by Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible said, okay, don't, don't fool with the Bible. It's been, you know, it is now recorded. I don't want you to add. I don't want you to take away. Because now we have truth. And one of the things, guys, that is a temptation for a lot of people, especially Christ followers, is that sometimes we're going, okay, the truth that I have, I understand that, but, you know, I just want a little bit extra. I just want a little bit more. Because the situation in my life demands that I need a little bit more of an answer. So sometimes we're tempted to try to look for more information. I can tell you this morning that Christ has brought all the truth that we need. We have the truth of salvation. We have the truth for every need in our life. And so he comes as a prophet. And this isn't by chance. This isn't just something that he came around and said, you know, I feel like I really need to be a prophet. No, it was predicted all the way back in Deuteronomy. Moses, he said, one day there's going to be a prophet who comes. And he talks about this prophet that's going to come to be this final revealer of truth. Peter, in one of his sermons in Acts chapter 3, actually quotes back to Deuteronomy. They kind of link. I love when the Old Testament and the New Testament link together. And Peter's preaching and he says, hey guys, remember thousands of years ago when Moses preached this? He said, I want you to know this has happened in your lifetime. Well, for you and I who live in a post-Christ era, we live in this time when Christ has come. He has died. He has risen again. We live in a day and time today when we do not stand in need for more truth. What we need is to realize the truth that God has given us. 
And yet, have you ever found your wonder, yourself wondering, just, okay, I wish there's just another secret. In fact, Oprah, I think, came out, uh, um, and I'm not a Oprah basher or anything like that, okay? So no emails on that. But, you know, a couple of years ago, there was this book out, The Secret. And I said, it's just not biblical. God is not, I mean, everything that God has done is to reveal himself to us. God is not sitting there going, okay, here's a secret. And Brittany, I'm going to give it to you, and Jeffrey to you. Okay, I'm going to give you a secret. But you know, Dustin, uh-uh, there's no way I'm not going to give this secret to Dustin. That's not what happened. When Christ comes, I mean, think about what really happened in the incarnation. The incarnation is that fancy term that we use that, that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. What really happened in that? God, holy, mighty God, clothed himself in a body just like yours and mine and walked among us. And in doing that, guys, he brought us truth. In this prophetic role as the ultimate prophet, he came to bring us truth. And, And John knew that from the very beginning. The Gospel of John is one of my favorite. I mean, I love the Gospels. But listen to what John said about the birth of Christ. We don't really see in John the traditional Christmas story with the nativity and with all that. But I think John probably has the best Christmas story of all because look what he writes, John 1.14. And the Word, that is Christ, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see Christ, I want you to know you are seeing the fullness of truth. There is no error in him. There's no sin in him. There is no lie in him. There's no deception. This revealer of truth, you know, that's what a prophet does. It reveals truth as the ultimate. What John is saying there is, man, when you've seen Christ, it's the ultimate truth. You don't have to look any farther. It's not a secret. He made himself known. It's not a little club that we belong to. John goes on in verse 17 to say, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, that's not John's way of going, hey, this law, that's passe, that's old. No, what he was saying is, look, Moses came and he gave you truth. And the truth was how to live a righteous life, how to be obedient to God. And every one of us felt it. Every one of us felt that obedience to Christ. All have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So he references Moses in the Old Testament to say, okay, he was a revealer of truth, and part of that truth was the Ten Commandments. How many of you have never broken one of the Ten Commandments? None of us. And a lot of times, here's the the trap that we get into, guys. A lot of us think that the Ten Commandments was given so that God kind of puts us in this box and says, okay, here's ten ways to live, and you have to live this way. Certainly that is truth, and certainly we are to live those ways. But that was not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't just so that we get in this box and we have this moralistic way of living. It's to show us that we couldn't be wonderful, perfect, moral beings. That was the, that was the real purpose of the Ten Commandments, guys. Are, are they truth? Are they, are, are they truth that we can live like? Yes. But we're told in the New Testament that the Ten Commandments... They were there so that you could say, man, I can't draw that straight line. I can't walk in perfection. I need a Savior. And, and that's what he's saying there. The law of Moses was given through, or the, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Even Christ himself, if we read a little bit farther into John, 
In John 14, 6, one of my favorite verses, he said, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today you saw Abby getting baptized. And folks, it's not that Abby said, okay, I have now been in church a hundred times, so I get to get baptized. It wasn't that Abby came along and said, you know, I know the Ten Commandments. I can recite those Ten Commandments. And so now it's time to be baptized. No. Abby realized one thing. We sat down weeks ago and we began to talk. And, and folks, some of the best theology comes out of children, I promise you. And out of that simple childlike faith, she realized two things. The truth about herself and the truth about God. The two greatest truths in mankind. The truth about ourselves, I need a Savior. The greatest truth of all, that Christ has come to save me. Truth and grace. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, in every day of your life, you're going to ask this question, what, what is truth? You're going to decide. I don't care if you consider yourself a religious person, a non-religious person, spiritual person, non-spiritual churchy kind of person, non-churchy kind of person. Every one of us, every human being, whether they ever come into a church or not, whether they ever hear something from the Bible or not, every single person will make a decision. What is the truth that I live by? What's the truth that I live by? Let me give you three options of, that, that people take on. The first one is that people say, well, you know, there's really no such thing as absolute truth. You can't clinically say declaratively say that all this is truth and this is the one and only way. And so there's just no absolute truth. It's various people, various truths. And so one of the ways that people approach this whole truth thing for their life is to say, I just really don't think that there's any absolute truth. I don't think that there's definitely a yes and a no, a true and a false, a right and a wrong in all occasions. And folks, we get a really healthy dose of that from our culture. Everybody has what I call, you know, their beliefs and their values. And do you know that we have tons of beliefs? Belief is what we really believe to be kind of true. A value is what we actually believe to be so true that we act upon. And, and so, for example, I can say, man, I, 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 think it's, I think it's truth to forgive one another. You know, the Bible says it, Jesus said it, you're supposed to forgive. If I don't forgive... Even when I've been really drastically hurt, I may believe it, but it's not a value. And ultimately what I'm saying is, okay, God, yeah, in most circumstances, I believe that you are to forgive. But God, this person really hurt me. Many of you know the story of my mom. My mom and I have had a very strange relationship ever since I was probably about 12 years old. And uh, when you hear me speak of my mom, oftentimes it's, it's my stepmother who God graciously gave me and she raised me and, and uh, is the most wonderful of ladies. But my real mom and I, um, let's just say she's never been there. And it's one of those things that at times, you know, you get that kind of pit in your stomach and you're sitting there going, okay. But God, she doesn't deserve what she does. And you can start making your list of the grievances of the fears of the hurts and all those kind of things. And yet I come back to the truth of God's word. And it says, forgive as you have been forgiven. And I go, that's not fair, God. 
I mean, you're using this huge stick when you forgive me, and yet I want to take this little stick and say, okay, just this far. You have a lot of beliefs, folks. A lot of beliefs. But most of us will find that we have very few values. Stuff that we believe so intrinsically to be the truth of God that we're saying, okay, come high water or, or you know, swim or, or defeat. I believe this and I'm sticking to it. A second way that people approach it, instead of saying there's no absolute truth, a lot of times people will just say, well, uh, truth is, well, your own sense of truth. And we t- kind of take on a Shakespearean kind of, to thy own self be true. Well, folks, that's not in the Bible. That was Shakespeare, okay? <laughs> the Bible never says, to thine own self be true. But a lot of people say, well, you know what really is truth? Is what my heart says. Here's the problem with that. Number one, has your heart ever been wrong? Yeah. Secondly, what if my heart says one thing, but your heart says another thing? See, Proverbs, this book of wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 21, 2, it says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes. And when I do something, man, it's right in my own eyes. So let's say this today, I I have to go to the store, and I decide that uh, I want to go north on southbound 85. I don't care what the sign says. I don't care what all, all the other people. In my heart... God is sending me north. Well, here's the other part of Proverbs that we can link to that, how every man's way is right in his own eyes. The the Bible also says in in Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seems right to man, but it ends up in death. And so, so here I, I get to, okay, I want to go north on South 85 or south on North 85. Everybody else is going this. Ultimately, folks, what happens when the truth of your heart and the truth of my heart collide. See, that's the fallacy of the truth is a matter of the heart. Now, when I believe in biblical truth, do I take it to heart? Yes. So don't confuse what we're saying there. But see, the problem with this philosophy of just truth is what truth is to me, is what if I say, like the truth is, everybody work however you want, then we put it all into a pot, and everybody divides it equally. And then, you know, you come up, Brian, and you say, no, 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 no. <laughs> everybody gets what they earned. And so we have conflicting hearts. You're saying, no, you, know, you didn't earn that. You sat down. I worked all day. You're not going to get half of what I put in there. Well, I, may be, I said, but I believe this with all my heart that we should just share. Come on, Brian, come on. Help a brother here. And he's going, No. The Bible says, you don't work, you don't eat. I'm going, really? That's what it says? And it really does say that. Whole different context, though. Whole different context, though. Doesn't mean that we should not help the poor. What it was saying is, if you're able-bodied, you know, go out there. Do you see the point, though? That, that in a world where everybody says, I just, I just want to kind of go with my heart. If that's the ultimate matter of truth for you, number one, your heart can be wrong. Number two, what if my heart disagrees with your heart? And that kind of leads us into the third one. Some people say, well, real truth exists and is found in some kind of a stated form or religion. Uh, For Christians, we would say, okay, our truth comes through the Word of God, the Bible. 
And I truly believe it. When I read this, I believe that it is God's truth revealed through Jesus Christ. And so to me, the Bible is the ultimate standard of truth, and Christ is the ultimate standard, standard bearer of truth. He's the ultimate prophet. But then if I go to a Muslim friend, they're going to say, well, you know, we actually believe in the Quran to be the standard of truth, and we believe that Muhammad was the prophet that came. I may go to a Hindu friend, and in the Hindu friend, well, actually, we don't even have a book. We have a lot of different books, and we don't just have one God. We have actually hundreds of thousands of gods. Well, folks, this is not to be discriminatory, but here's the thing. Not all of those can be true. You can't say, oh, there's only one God, because the minute that you say that, if this other person says, well, no, I believe that there's a hundred gods, not both of you can be right. It can't coexist. And should we coexist as people and love all folks? You better believe it. Man, as, as Christ followers, we should love all people. But this whole notion that, okay, everybody's kind of right, and at the end, it's all going to come together. Folks, I really don't think that's how it's going to end up. The Bible doesn't say that. And you say, well, Bobby, you're biased. No, no, this is just what I believe to be truth from God's Word. But, but I have to understand that my Muslim friend believes that to be truth. But here's the thing, guys. What you determine to be truth is ultimately going to dictate how you live your life. Let's take uh, me and a Muslim friend. I believe that the only way to eternity, the only way to what's after this life, what we call heaven, I believe that the only way that you get there is through the work of Jesus Christ. I believe the Bible in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 when it says that you're saved by grace. You know, that it's his grace, his work, and it's not our works. And yet I can go to a Muslim friend and they'll say, well, here's the five tenets of Islam. And by obedience to this, this is how you get to heaven. Do you see the conflict? This is the conflict of the world that we live in. And we live in a very technical and a very high information age. And so we're probably more aware of the differences more than ever before. So this isn't so much for me to just go to my brother and say, you are wrong and I am so right. Ultimately, I'm just saying, where do you go by? At the end of the day, when you're raising your family, when you're living your marriage, when you are trying to see, okay, how do I live my life? What, what is going to be kind of the, the code or the way or the, the thing? What is going to be truth to me? Every one of us in here will have to make a decision about that. This whole truth thing is pretty pretty important. It's not just a factor of what we believe on Sunday, but we see that it really dictates our life. When you see Jesus as a prophet, that of the greatest prophet, what we're really saying is that ultimately he's the revealer of truth, that there is such a thing as absolute truth. I, I firmly believe that there's absolute right and there's absolute wrong. I firmly believe that there is only one God. I firmly believe that there's only one way to that God, we just read that before, John 14, 6. And in a world that says, well, I know that is so narrow-minded, folks, ultimately, it's either going to be true or not. And one day in the future, when I die, I guess I will find out if the truth that I believed and preached all my life is the ultimate truth. But, but I truly believe that it is. And so I'm going to give myself wholeheartedly to that truth. Jesus uh, said this in John chapter 8. 
Because this is really when it comes down. The rubber meets the, the, the road kind of thing. I mean, ultimately, theology always has to be the foundation that we base things upon, this theological truth. But ultimately, on Monday morning, on Thursday afternoon, on Friday, don't you need the application of that truth? Or is theory enough for you? When those astronauts got to that dark side of the moon, you know, they were glad that all the slide rules and all the really smart physicists and all the guys that did all the calculations, they were glad that all those guys went over those numbers time and time again. But ultimately, there came a time when they went to that little button or that little toggle switch and they had to kind of turn it on. And their fate, their future, and their very lives were dependent on if all that truth really was true. You and I are the exact same way. We're the exact same way. But folks, it's not just a technical thing. When Jesus says, I tell you, pray for your enemies. Forgive those who have offended you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Guys, He doesn't say, okay, everything but that one really hurtful situation. He says, no, I want you to forgive everyone in the same way that I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you of all your sins, and so you forgive them. That's the really hard part of Christianity. That's the hard part of of sitting there going, okay, do I really believe this? Do I value it so much that I'm going to exercise it in my life? Because here's the ultimate thing. We'll end with this scripture. John 8, 31, 32. Now Jesus said to them, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, to abide means to to rest, to to, to live in, in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And what will happen with that truth? I'll set you free. That's when it ceases to be moralistic teaching. It is moralistic. But this is where it gets really pragmatic and really practical, guys. When Jesus says forgive as you've been forgiven, the lack of that forgiveness, that hardness that can come into our lives, when that happens, we're not free. We're angry. We're mad. We become victims. Let me give you another example. I mean, when we think about that whole forgiveness thing, my mom did this. Maybe your mom, your dad did it too. You, your brother, sister, you're fighting. And they catch you. And they make you say this. I want you to go over to your brother and I want you to hug him and tell him that you love him. I loved when my mom said that. I said, sister, come here. Let me hug you. Hug you. And I can get her right there in that headline. I'll hug her. I mean, that was not a wholehearted, you know, authentic exercise of what mom wanted. Mom wanted us truly to put all those differences beside us and get on with life. Well, folks, as silly as that seems, what was done as kids, guys, I, I, I counsel marriages all the time. 
And when you get right in the middle of that, yeah, but you don't remember nine years ago, 90 years ago. And is it a hurt? You better believe it's a hurt. It is a deep hurt. It is something that really could shadow the rest of that marriage. But that's where Christ says, look, I reveal truth to you. Forgive as you've been forgiven because I want you to set you free. I don't want you to be tied to your past. I want to give you a great future. See, that's the hope of Christ. It can be technical. It can be all theological. And it is. And we're glad that it is. But there's going to be a moment in your life and in my life that we're in a situation and we're going to have to hit that button or switch that toggle and we're going to say, okay, does this whole Christ stuff really work or not? Does it really work or not? And your marriage and your family and your life and your future and your salvation will depend on what you've placed as truth in your life. Guys, this really is important that he came as the ultimate prophet. It really is important when we look at those Old Testament things and say, okay, is he just kind of being all religious here? Prophet, priest, king? No, when Christ comes in the fullness of the ultimate truth revealer, it means that you and I have everything we need. We have everything we need for truth in our lives. There is no secret code. There isn't anything that's not revealed. We just need to take our beliefs and say, man, I believe this with all my heart that it's my value. And so I do forgive. See, one of the lies that, uh, that we buy into a whole bunch, and see if you have not bought into this this week, you are what you do. How many of y'all have ever bought that lie? That when you perform well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I mean, even like this morning, guys, it's a rainy morning, you know. Uh, we have a good group here. But let's say that every seat was completely full. And I'm going home, going. I'm sure it's the preaching. That's why they're coming out. Yeah. I see empty seats. I say, you know, I bet it's the preaching. Do you see that? Man, it's because I do this well, because I'm a good husband. And I really love my wife well. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like dirt because you didn't love your wife well for a moment. Without anger or something to get in the way. And the whole way that you characterize yourself is based on how you performed or not. Well, Christ took that away, guys. He's, look, as God looks at you, he looks through me and the finished work of what I did on Calvary when I rose again. That's the hope of the Christian guys. Are we to be holy people? Yes, we are. Are we to, to, to do the morality that is involved with Christianity? Yes. But we'll never be able to toe that line completely. We just can't. The very minute I think I have forgiveness down, guess what? There's going to be a situation before now going, okay, I can't forgive that. And this is the hope of Christ. This is what it means that God clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. So those external truths, how to live, can start to affect the internal truth. And how do I see myself? Do I see myself in Christ? Or do I see myself simply as a a cumulative uh, effect of all the right or wrong decisions that I make in my life. 
It's not what the Word says. He said, man, if you're in me, you are complete. Doesn't mean I get lazy. Doesn't mean, just means I don't have to sit there in the middle of the week when Satan wants to tell me that I'm some kind of jerk because I can really act like a jerk. But I don't have to be a jerk because I have Christ. And that's the hope that we have this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you. We thank you. And Father, I, I think everybody agrees this morning or I think that we've come to that time of our life when we just wanted a little bit more, kind of a secret to get us over a hump in our faith and maybe just something a little bit extra. And yet, Father, one of the truths that we can draw from this whole idea that Jesus came as the ultimate prophet is that truth has already been revealed. Father, there's not a book two. There's not Bible version 2.0 that's going to come out and be updated for a modern world. Father, you have spoken truth. You have lived out truth in your son, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, you invite us just to to follow that truth. So, Father, I I pray that we would have the mind of Christ. Father, on those things like forgiveness that seem almost impossible at times, that we would just trust by faith in the truth, that you said that if we truly forgive, we will be set free. Father, that our value is not in the cumulative effect of all of our rights and our wrongs. But Father, as we saw with Abby this morning, that symbolic picture, we have died to self so that we can be raised in Christ. Father, show us what that really means. Take us away from being a people of beliefs. And Father, make us a people of values. We love you. We thank you, Father. We sing your praises as we pray all this in the name of the one who made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.cornerstone.org or find us on Facebook.